Well, it's a great day today. Uh, great to see baptisms, and we're not done yet, so just stick around, and we'll watch that some more. A lot of cool things have been happening, although every once in a while, something happens that we're not so excited about, and that is uh, Scott and Becky Goodwin, way back there. You guys might as well just stand up, because I'm, I'm outing you in the back row, practically. Uh, Scott and Becky Goodwin have been here for many, many years, helped us launch our safety teams as and stuff. Uh, they're moving away. So this is their last Sunday for a while uh, until they come back. So let's just give them just uh, uh, some appreciation. Appreciate you guys. And even though sometimes we, we lose good friends with like that, uh, God still allows our church to grow. Just in the last week or so, uh, we've seen here just in our campus, I think 69 people uh, came in to connect class. Uh, we had, I think, uh, 56 people, I think, were, were in our serve class just in the last week or so. And that's just Fremont campus, not, not talking about Tiffin or Northwood, and just exciting about... Ex- Exciting stuff that God is doing, and we're thankful to him, and, and we're just two weeks out from Easter, so buckle up next Sunday, Palm Sunday, don't miss it, and then Easter, invite your friends, we're going to have a great time together. We're still in our series, Road to the Cross, and that takes us right into Easter, and we've been learning what Jesus said here the last month of his life, as he was on this journey to Jerusalem, where he knows that he's going to be killed. And as he keeps trying to explain that to his disciples, that's not the way they saw it playing out, and so they were having a hard time grasping that. Along the way, Jesus teaches uh, through a parable that we're only saved by grace, that no matter what we've done, when we come to Jesus uh, for his mercy, when we ask God for mercy, he gives us mercy, And so we see him teaching that. And then we have this opportunity to become a follower of Christ. Because a real Christian doesn't just, hey, say, God, help me. A real Christian understands that Jesus died for us, and we put our trust in him alone. And when we do that sincerely, we want to follow. And Jesus taught that if we were a follower of Jesus, which is what a true Christian is, that we are actually disciples The word disciple is not just for the 12 guys that followed Jesus, the apostles, but it's also for every believer. All of us are called to follow him, and that's all disciple means is follower. And so we looked at that, and Jesus said, hey, there there could be a price to pay for following me, the cost of discipleship. And now we're, we're back to our story. Jesus now has left Jericho. He's on a very well-traveled road from Jericho to Jerusalem. And he's heading south, but he's heading up. And as he does that, right before he gets to Jerusalem, right on this road, just two miles outside of Jerusalem, is a village named Bethany. And he, Jesus has friends there. As a matter of fact, Jesus stays in Bethany a lot when he visits Jerusalem. But now this, he's going to Jerusalem for his last time. And uh, he stops at some friend's house. And it's just six days 
before he's crucified, and that's where I want to pick up the story, and we're going to be in John chapter 12. If you use a a Bible in the chair rack in front of you, that's page, I think it's 1075. Uh, Turn there, John 12 is where we're at, and uh, here's what happened and what Jesus said and why it matters. John 12, verse 1. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And so I want to get into chapter 12, but I want to stop right here and go grab some context, okay? So here Jesus is moving to Jerusalem. We're getting down to the last week of his life, and he says he stopped at some friend's house, which is actually one of his friends, or some of his friends in Bethany, which is Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, who are siblings who share the same house, and Jesus is going there, and the writer John points out, oh, that's where Lazarus, the guy who's raised from the dead. So I want to get back to, now I want to go back in time, all right? So we're just getting here to Jerusalem, we're into Jesus' life, but now let's step back for a moment and grab this context. What happened a few days earlier is Jesus was in the area, and there was a problem with Lazarus. Lazarus. And so his friends, these two sisters and this brother, they send Jesus' word. So I want to back up to the previous chapter, John 11, starting with verse 3. So the sisters sent word to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, He then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And and that last phrase there, that last sentence, we're going, what? This doesn't seem to connect, right? Here's the picture. He's about a day from Bethany at this point, and he gets word. And remember, you didn't just text or call somebody to send word, it would have to be serious because you cause somebody, they have to travel for a day, deliver the message and travel a day back. It takes two days just to get word to Jesus. So when Jesus hears the message that Lazarus is sick, Jesus knows it's serious. He's not got the sniffles. They're saying, hey, this is serious. Lazarus is sick. He may die. And so Jesus hears this, and we're already told how much Jesus loves his family, and so then when he hears it, what does Jesus do? He stays there for two days. He doesn't go anywhere. And we're going, what? Who does that? Why why not? Why doesn't Jesus take action? That's what we would all expect. Why doesn't Jesus hurry to Bethany? Or why doesn't Jesus just heal him long distance because he's done that before in his ministry? Why doesn't Jesus solve this problem, take action, and make this situation better? Why doesn't he act? And we ask the same type questions today, right? God, where were you? God, how could you have let this happen? God, I know you could have kept this from happening, but but yet it happened. God, why didn't you do what I would expect you to do? 
It's, it would be easy for you to do it. Why aren't you doing that? It's the same type of questions. Then, as he doesn't go to Bethany for two days, two days later, while they're still there, and where they are is, uh, again, about a day's journey, he tells the disciples, Lazarus is asleep. And they don't really understand exactly what he means by that, but, but they're relieved. They're like, oh, Lazarus is asleep. Good, we don't have to go there because the disciples do not want to go to Bethany because they know there are people in Jerusalem that want to kill Jesus and they're hanging out with Jesus. They don't want to go. And so they're like, great, good, he's sleeping. That means that's, that's the best thing for him, right? He's gonna get better. But that doesn't happen. Jesus then tells him, verse 14, so Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And then the next thing Jesus says is he starts explaining why he didn't act. It's very insightful. Then here's what he says, verse 15. He says, hey, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes, talking about the disciples, that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So what's happening here? Why would Jesus wait? Well, we still don't know exactly as the story plays out, but what Jesus tells us then or told the disciples at that point is he says, you know, the fact that I waited and now that Lazarus is dead, I'm glad that I waited because it's going to be good for you. It's gonna benefit you is what he's saying. And by extension, by the way, it's going to benefit Mary and it's going to benefit Martha. I don't know about Lazarus, but it's going to benefit the crowds. It's going to, and ultimately it, it benefits us as it plays out. So he says, hey, it's, it's for your good. And this is the truth that we keep reading in scripture that as we follow Christ, even when bad things happen, God can use those things for good in our lives. It's Romans 8, 28 stuff, I'm sure you've heard that a lot of times. So here's how it goes. And then Thomas, he reacts to that. Here's what he says. Therefore Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us go also so that we may die with him. Thomas, not a fun guy to hang around. I don't know if you've noticed that. Yeah, let's just go get killed with him. Let's do it. And so they leave then for Bethany. Again, Bethany's about a day's walk. As they begin to walk into Bethany, as they get right there near Bethany, the funeral tradition, first century, is in full swing in Bethany. And here's typically the way that would go. When somebody died in first century Israel, Israel at this time did not embalm people. And so their burial would happen pretty relatively quickly. There's a lot of caves in that whole region. And so typically caves were preferred, but sometimes they would bury them in the ground. And then later they would do some stuff with the bones and put them in a box, but we won't get into all that. But they, so they bury the dead person within the day. I mean, within hours. Then on the news that somebody passed, people, friends and family would start streaming in. Some before the burial, but probably most of them after the burial because news traveled a little kind of slow. And then there would be this sort of memorial 
that would last seven days. For seven days, people would come in to the family and they would grieve with the family. So now, right in the middle of this, all this grieving, and then we know other things like in their culture at that time, they would, when they grieved, they would wail and cry out. And, uh, and they would even hire flutists who, who would play like funeral dirge music on and off, and, and even professional wailers. I mean, it was, it was a big deal, and a lot just sounded terrible, just grief being expressed in its rawest form. And now Jesus is entering when they're right in the middle of this seven-day funeral tradition. And then Martha has all these people at her house, but somebody gives word, hey, Jesus is getting ready to head into the village. We just saw him. And so she slips out the back door and goes and meets Jesus. When she sees him, she says, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And, and, she, and then she kind of says something. If, uh, but, but no matter what, I know God will do whatever you say. And that it's kind of going to be okay. That, and she's got her trust in Jesus. And then Jesus replies to her and says, well, you know, Lazarus is going to rise again. And she says, yeah, yeah, I get the theology. I know that in the resurrection of the last day, someday way in the future, Lazarus is going to rise again. And then Jesus responds to that. Very interesting. In verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she says to him, yes, Lord. I have believed that you are the Christ, meaning the Messiah. This, but more than that, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. And when she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, hey, the teacher's here and he's calling for you. Mary, well, we'll get back to the text. Mary doesn't leave, slip out the door. So teacher's here is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And then the Jews who were in her, with, who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came to where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, same thing, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Same thing Martha said, but different response. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him. But some of them said, well, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? So notice, 
two sisters, they come and meet Jesus as he's entering the village, and they say the same thing at the beginning. Lord, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Like, you're a little bit late. And then to one, Martha, Jesus answers with some theology, basically kind of challenges her about where her faith is. is her faith, And then she says, hey, I, I get it. You are the son of God. And then he reminds her, hey, I am the resurrection. Mary then comes, and she says same thing. Lord, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But she doesn't, get, she doesn't go on anymore like Martha did. She just collapses at his feet, weeping. It, it's just all raw emotion. And then that moves Jesus. We see Jesus' truth, but we also see his humanity through this. And then Jesus, in his humanity, gets caught up in this emotion. So two different people, Jesus is responding to them the, the way each of them need. Some people need a reminder of truth. Hey, here's your hope. Hang on to this. And some people, they just need you to weep with them. And that's what Jesus does. And so, verse 38, so Jesus again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there'll be a a stench, for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe you'll see the glory of God? And so they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, so now Jesus is doing a public prayer that everybody hears. Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And the man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. And therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he'd done believed in him. So all of a sudden you have this kind of public miracle Somebody is raised from the dead just outside the walls of Jerusalem. A lot of people from Jerusalem have just seen this. And now many of them are going, boom, this is the son of God. Nobody else can do this. This guy's been dead four days. There's no wondering, oh, is he dead? Is he not? And he recovered. No, four days. And then Jesus leaves the area and goes to the other side of Jordan, actually where John was baptizing a couple of years before. He sort of retires. Now we're back in the present. Are you with me there? That's what happened before. That's the context. Now Jesus is coming into Bethany, his final trip to Jerusalem. All that with Lazarus has happened a few days ago. Now he's back. As he approaches the village, word gets out, and so they plan a huge party for him, a supper to honor him. And his arrival in Bethany is actually recorded for us. This, this next event 
in John 12 by three gospel writers, at least two of them, at least, are eyewitnesses to what happens next. And so they get to, the, uh, they get to Bethany. His friends have planned a big dinner in his honor. And then Matthew and Mark tell us this is not at the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. This is at the home of some, another person in Bethany, another friend of Jesus, called Simon the leper. And it's Simon the leper because a lot of people were named Simon. I mean, two disciples are named Simon. We're going to hear about another different guy named Simon. There's four Simons that I'm going to talk about today. So he's Simon the leper. But here's the catch. Simon the leper is not a leper now, or he would not be able to host a dinner to honor Jesus because no one would be allowed to come because leprosy was a highly contagious disease and there were rules in the law about what you could and couldn't do around somebody with leprosy, so this could not have happened. So this is Simon, the former leper, where this happens. But in this village, everybody knows who Jesus is because just a few days ago, he raised their neighbor, Lazarus, from the dead. So this is a, a community celebration, a community honoring Jesus. So everybody pitches in to make this supper happen. happen. That's what's going on. And, and there is a side note. I probably even shouldn't say this, but there's a side note that says, Simon the leper, there's a chance that he could have actually been the father of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And they all lived in the same home, but we don't really know that. That's just totally speculation, but that's what somebody had pointed out. Again, we don't know. So Simon's there, and so here's the deal, picking it up in verse 2 of John 12. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving, but Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So this is a stunning incident. You know, we've kind of heard of this before, so we don't react as much. But here's what's going on. Nard comes from the nard plant in India, where from the root and the spikes of the plant, they make this very expensive fragrant oil. Huge money because it's imported from India to Israel. Costs a lot. It's about 11 ounces that she has of this nard. And so either Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are very well off, that could be, or this is like a family heirloom that has been passed down through generations. And so Mary takes this nard, and, and typically this was so expensive that it would be in a vial or a jar, but the top of it would be very small, so you just dabbed it out a little bit. Mary breaks it open and pours the whole thing, not just on Jesus' feet, because he says she anointed my body, she, he and, and Matthew and Mark make this more clear. She anoints the head of Jesus, his body, and his feet, and then she lets down her hair, which was not done by polite women in public. She lets her hair down, and she flips it over, and she wipes this perfume, this nard, off of his feet. And I'm telling you, when this happened there would have been a stunned silence of everybody that saw this. I mean, it's like, whoa. And then to take down her hair 
and to flip it and start drawing off his feet. I mean, you probably could have heard a pin drop, but the silence is soon broken. And here's what happens next. Um, well, before I get there, I want to just point out one thing. And maybe I shouldn't even point this out, but I'm going to point it out anyway, all right? Interesting fact. Do you want an interesting fact or not? Okay, interesting fact. Several years ago, like two or three years before this happened, and before Lazarus was raised, you know, years ago, in Galilee, something kind of like this happened. is recorded for us in Luke chapter 7. Jesus is ministering. He's kind of new in his three-year ministry. And a skeptical guy named Simon the Pharisee in Galilee, which is way up north, invites Jesus for a dinner. And Simon is skeptical of Jesus and doesn't really honor Jesus. He just has him in for dinner. And these dinners were semi-public. I mean, it's usually in a courtyard and there would be people from the town kind of looking in and listening in what's said. A lot of people are invited, but even you weren't invited, you could kind of listen in. And while this is happening, there is a prostitute in the town who hears that Jesus is at this Pharisee's house. So she goes, makes her way through the crowd, and she looks in to see what's happening because she's heard about Jesus. What she notices is nobody has washed Jesus' feet or anointed him with oil. And, and what would typically happen back then is when a guest came in, if you were, especially if you were honoring them, you would wash their feet, usually be a servant or the lowest ranked person would, would wash their feet and then sometimes put a little dab of oil on their head because again, first century, people aren't taking showers like we take showers. Everything's a little more smelly. So if you're gonna have a, a nice dinner, then you would just put a little fragrant oil perfume on people's heads and then that would just make it nicer for everybody concerned. And then they would go to a table, usually U-shaped, and they would... It was a low table, and they would recline at the table, which meant they would, put, they would be on one elbow with a pillow under them to support their body, and the table would be right here, and they would eat with their other hand, but their feet would be extended out. This prostitute woman sees what's happening, sees that this Pharisee did not honor Jesus. She then squeezes through the crowd, enters into the courtyard of this house. She has a small vial of perfume around her neck. She opens it and she comes to Jesus's feet. She's weeping Jesus at Jesus's feet so much that her tears are actually washing his feet. She dries his feet with her hair and then anoints his feet with oil. And by the way, when all that, another interesting fact, but by the way, while all that happens, Simon the Pharisee, he's sitting there and going, ah, yeah, this guy, not a prophet from God. If he was really a prophet of God, he would know that this woman is a sinner, that she's a prostitute, and he would not allow her to even touch his foot. So, yeah, this is not the real deal. And Jesus knows that he's thinking that. And so Jesus then tells one of his stories a parable, short story of spiritual truth. He says, Simon, I have a story for you. Simon says, bring it. And he says, hey, there were two debtors who, owe, remember this, two debtors who owed a money lender two different amounts of money. One guy owed the money lender, the loan shark, big bucks. And the other, 
owed the loan shark a little bit of money. But the money lender, the loan shark, he forgave them both. Hey, Simon, which one do you think would love the money lender most? And Simon says, well, I guess the one that had the bigger debt. And Jesus says, exactly. When I came into your house, you didn't greet me with a kiss. You didn't wash my feet. You didn't anoint my head. But this woman, she's here kissing my feet, washing them with her tears, drying them with her hair, and anointing them with oil. So that was a side note. So we don't know if Mary, now we're back in the present, John 12. We don't know if Mary has heard about that event or not. It could be because she's a friend of Jesus. Her and her sister and Lazarus, they've, they've been with Jesus a lot. Every time he comes to Jerusalem, they see Jesus. And so it could be that they've heard this story. doesn't really matter. But what we see is Mary's act of amazing devotion. This is just not done in, in proper society. She doesn't care. It's a huge act of humility, devotion, and gratitude. Because if nothing else, of who Jesus is, and just days ago, Jesus has raised her brother from the dead. And she's, she doesn't care what people think. And she doesn't care if it's not her job. She worships Jesus. So again, stunned silence. The silence is soon broken, and that happens in the next verse, verse 4. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who was intending to betray him, said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to poor people? Now, he had said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. You know, which is the classic. We see, hey, let's do this for poor, poor, poor people. And we should. God's telling us to give to poor people. But you just got to know, a lot of times, that's the people who are saying that end up with their pockets lined. And that's what's going on here. So what Judas is saying is saying, oh, all that was just poured out. The whole bottle, the whole jar gone. That was worth a year's pay. A denarii was one day's wage. This is three, worth 300 denarii. They didn't work on the Sabbath day. This is a year's wages, just wasted. What a waste, Judas says. Matthew and Mark tell us that some of the other disciples were like, yeah, what a bummer. We, oh, we could have used that. We could have helped some people. So what does Jesus say? Well, he responds to defend Mary. By the way, that year's pay, within days, Judas betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver four months' wages, a third of this. And, and John's kind of cluing us in, hey, 
He's just talking about the poor to hide what's really in his heart. So what Jesus say? He responds, verse 7. Therefore Jesus said, let her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. He's saying, yeah, you should help the poor. But this week is my last week here. Matt includes more details of some more things Jesus said. It actually simplifies it a little bit. Matthew in 26, 12 says that one of the things Jesus said at this point was, for when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Jesus said, hey, this, she's doing this. Now, Mary doesn't know that. Jesus is just saying, she's preparing me for my burial. Because like I've been saying, I am going to be killed, and not just killed, I'm going to be buried, and he knows he's days away from this, and the disciples are still kind of trying to figure all this out. The whole Bible that they had, which is the Old Testament, is what they had in the first century, was teaching them the sacrificial system, the blessing of Abraham, the king of David, all this was teaching them. All this history was flowing down to this point where one, the Messiah, the actual son of God, would come and give his life. For not just for Israel, for the whole world. That's all playing out. And why does that matter? Because we only have this life to make this decision to follow Christ. That's why it's such a celebration for us when people get baptized. Because actually what's happened is they've made a decision in their heart to follow Christ. And then Jesus says, you know, this is a private internal decision that you make to put your trust in Jesus. That's pretty private. I mean, you could do it with somebody and all that. They could be there. But what happens in your heart? Nobody can actually see that. They can see the results. And so Jesus says, well, one of the first things I want you to do is to get dunked underwater. That's Jesus' idea. Jesus got baptized by John the Baptist. And if, if you're here today and you know you're getting baptized today and you're not wet yet, you can head on over because we're going to be doing that in a few minutes. Just so, head over to the conference room right there and, uh, and we'll be with you in a few minutes, give you a few minutes to get ready. So that's what God is calling us to do. And, and by the way, as as some of these head, head there, I know some, I think every time we do a baptism, here's what happens. Some people are sitting there, you're, you're sitting in the room going, oh, I should have signed up for that. I should have went to Ohio Grace slash event, you know, but maybe, I, you know, I, I, I never got around to doing that. But right now I feel bad that I didn't do it. If that's you, day's not over yet. If that's you, if, if you're thinking, hey, I really should have done that, and you're ready to do that today, you can get up and go to that room. Because we have pastors standing by. They're going to talk to you, make sure you understand. Make sure you're a believer and they understand what you're doing. And then you can be included in baptism too. But if you're going to do that, and if you haven't signed up, you need to get over there right now. Just head out over to that room, and we'll be glad that you did. The most important thing we ever do in life is to decide on Jesus. Decide what Jesus means to us because everyone has to decide on Jesus. 
and we only have this life to do it. Scripture tells us there's no second chances after death. It's just during this life. So we can choose to follow Him by putting our trust in Jesus, and if we do that sincerely, we'll want to follow Him. We, we, we don't, won't always do that right, but we'll want to. Or we can just kind of be like, yeah, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm good with Jesus. I like Jesus. But I don't know that I'm ready to become a follower of Jesus. People respond in all kinds of different ways. Same thing happened then, by the way, as we pick up the story in verse 9. Large crowds of the Jews then learned that he was there. So here's not just Bethany, but now people in Jerusalem are finding out Jesus is right there in Bethany, less than two miles away. Large crowds of the Jews learned that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see, also see Lazarus, who'd been raised from the dead, because that didn't happen that long ago. They're, they want to check this out. But the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death also, because on the count of him, many of the Jews were going away and they were believing in Jesus. See, the enemies of Christ had already planned, hey, if Jesus comes to Passover, we're going to eliminate him. And then they realized, hey, we need to get rid of the evidence too. We can't have Lazarus walking around. Everybody knows he was dead. And so we're going to have to kill him. Think about Lazarus. He's like, man, I already died once. And now I got these people looking to kill me again. Although I'm not sure he's considering that a big deal. Bring it. I didn't want to come back anyway. You know, who knows? But all this is playing out. And notice the contrast. Notice how people are responding to Jesus. The religious leaders who know he rose Lazarus from the dead, they're trying to get rid of him. And that's the problem we have. Scripture tells us that everybody thinks, well, if I had a miracle, I'd believe. Scripture's telling us, no. If you had a miracle, you wouldn't necessarily believe. Here are the religious leaders. They believe Lazarus was raised from the dead. They know that happened, and they want to get rid of him. And then you had Judas. He's been with Jesus three years. And then he realized he, maybe he's smarter than the other disciples as far as what's going to happen. He starts realizing, hey, this is the end game. I, I'm going to cut out of here. And, and when I cut out, I want to take as much as I can with me. Oh, a year's pay. That's gone. You know, he's just hanging around Jesus for what he can profit from it, for what he can get out of it. And then you have the crowd. Yeah, they're, they're always, hey, they want to see what's going on. Hey, we want to see Jesus. We want to see this guy that was dead. We want to see, we want to see. And what we're going to continue to see is the crowd, they're fickle. They're, they don't know. They're indecisive. They want to see. But they don't want to necessarily follow. They're indifferent. And they're like a lot of people are today. They want that middle ground. Yeah, I like Jesus. I think Jesus is great. But do I want to give my life to him? Do I want to feel like I have to do everything he says? Ah, I, don't, I don't think so. They want the middle ground. There is no middle ground with Jesus. That's what he's teaching us. Indifference, indecisiveness. When it comes to Jesus in this life, it's deadly. It's deadly. All these people reacting these different ways. But then you have Mary. 
Mary and Martha, they know who Jesus is. And they don't respond by trying to keep him away. She doesn't care what people think. She doesn't care what people are going to say about her. She grabs the most expensive thing she owns. And she doesn't use a little. She breaks it open. Anoints Jesus. Pours it over Jesus. His head, his body, his feet. Wipes his feet off with her hair. Humility. Devotion. Gratitude. That's how she responds. And why does it matter? Why do we even talk about this? Well, because at the end of John, John the writer, the eyewitness, disciple of Jesus... He tells us towards the end in John 20, 31, he says, but these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Who's John talking to? But these things, he's he's writing this to whoever's reading his words, whoever's looking at his story, what he said happened, his eyewitness account. He says he wrote all this stuff down so that you, meaning we, may believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that we can have life in his name. Everyone must decide whether to follow Jesus or not. And if you decide that you don't want to follow him, then no matter what you think of Jesus, you're actually rejecting him. You're saying, no, I don't want that much of Jesus. I don't want the following Jesus type of a lifestyle. I don't want that. And and here's the problem we have today. We have a tendency in our culture, even good people, even people who would describe themselves as Christians, we drift into rejecting Jesus. We think good about Jesus. We believe in Jesus. Everybody believes Jesus lived. And we think he's a great guy and a great teacher. But we're rejecting his claim on our life. Don't drift into rejecting. We only have this life. What Jesus is calling us to do, all of us, is to admit our sin, that we've done wrong, that we violated God's law. That's what God's law was for, to show us, hey, this is God's standards. And, and in our rebellion and in our sin nature, we don't measure up. So admit our sin and then believe. Not just believe that Jesus existed. Believe in Jesus. Trust in him. Put our faith in Jesus. And if we do that sincerely, We will want to follow him with our life. We'll want to be a follower. And and what that's called in the Bible is we'll want to be, and we will be, a disciple.